right, we're back. Welcome, everybody. I got two legends. You mind if I call uh, you guys let's, legends? Let's, oh, please friends. not. Friends. Long white beards. Yeah. John, called legend. John Mapes in the house. Yeah, what's up, John? What's up, guys? Yeah, this is super cool. I've been, I've been wanting to sit down and actually uh, record one of our epic conversations. Right. That we've been having for the last 10 years or so. I'm a little concerned. <laughs> but for the past year straight, every conversation me and Mike has literally ends with, that's a podcast. <laughs> like every time with that look in your eye. I'm like, oh man, well, here we go. Well, here's why. Here's why. You're, you're like, uh, at least to me, this is just my perspective. You're, you're like an enigma. I mean, we know your stuff. We know your, your, your products. But uh, like John Mapes, the dude, is like an enigma. Interesting. I mean, yeah, even Adam this morning's like, dude, send me a bio or something. I need to, I need to brush up. Yeah, man. Right. But uh, this is cool. Yeah. So for those of you who are kind of maybe not in the know who are listening, it's fair. Mike Jackson over here is the uh, would you say, what would you call yourself? Director, program head, direct, uh, creative uh, mastermind, co, whatever your title you're going to create. Co, okay, he's the yeah. co-president. Of the <laughs> of Broken City, all things creative. Nice. And John Mapes, you are the co similar kind of thing, right? You have a, you have right, a partner, right, right. and um, so you kind of are running Pulse Percussion and Box Six, right? Which is a much more extended thing, which we'll get into. But it's all in the world of competitive marching arts percussion. So that's the quick and short. If you're not into that world, yeah. And and John's co Ian has been. On our previous podcast, which yeah, Ian Grom, we will eventually get to archiving all of that old stuff and, and have it available on the site as well as the the new podcast. Yeah, so I feel really grateful to have you guys both here, like right next to each other, both in the same world, both technically in competition with each other, but very much like buddies and rooting for each other at the same time. Yeah, we've we've touched on this before, um, previous episodes that there's there's not enough of us you know we're like a <laughs> like a rare breed so it doesn't make sense um to uh to take the competitive thing seriously into into the social realm you know i mean generally speaking i'd like to i'd like to think anyway that um especially on the west coast uh, i know that the poll staff and the rcc staff and broken city staff like we're all we intermingle so did, quite often okay so to jump right in and I want to get into like kind of sharing your history and like how sure, you got sure. into music and stuff too. But one of the things that's been like very much in the forefront of my mind as somebody who was in the activity, but in the very early stages, you know, like 91 to 94. And, um, in the peak, th- <laughs> the peak, <laughs> a little Before it all went downhill. embryo was crawling out. <laughs> um, but just the idea of how, how you guys as, you know, full-grown adults working with young adults <laughs> navigate the world of competition and thinking competitively, thinking artistically, thinking within the box that is, you know, let's say winter percussion. Um, right. I, I think it's that's pretty simple, yeah. um, actually. Yeah, well, I guess, it's, where do I start? There are a lot of layers, right? <laughs> <laughs> but for probably guys like me and Mike, like, I don't, we don't think, I don't think about competition, like, we don't really talk about competition. We're just trying to do our thing. Um, it's 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 also a weird thing to prioritize 
Right. When it's totally out of, like, if you really want to get competitive, you should be playing sports. You shouldn't be playing music. Like, how do you, like, with sports, like, there's a score and there's a time frame and there's, there's a whole thing. But with music, like, how do you even, it's people's opinions, you know, mm -hmm. it's subjective. So it's super subjective. And then it, once you get to the point where you're working with these ensembles that are pretty jamming, it's like, you kind of get to the end, you watch those top groups, you're like, apples and oranges. Everyone's and pretty pears. cool. And and then at that point it's just opinions and what, so what do you like, what do you do and so it'd be it's a really strange thing to focus on like we almost never talk about it almost awkwardly so because hmm. once in a while we're like hey I know we don't ever talk about competition but I guess we should say this one thing and that but, is that a trickle down effect to the to the kids in the groups too because I would imagine if you're young you know younger people tend to be more competitive or insecure or I wish I was that or that kind of thing right. Because I, I kind of know it only through the lens of Mike. And I know that there's in these top groups, I would imagine there's sort of a certain philosophy that tends to permeate everybody. It's sort of, I think when you're in the top of any field, you kind of figure out best practices Actually, in general. And, I, and Mike's is much, it's very similar to yours in a way. Like from talking to him, he's like, you don't think about competition. You have to think about maybe the judges' scorecards or the limitations of the activity, but not really right. directly, how are we going to beat them or how are we going to, you know. Yeah, I'm, right. curi I'm curious, before you dive into that, um, do you mean the creative process? Like, there's no, there's no organization yet. Like, you haven't had auditions. And it's just, it's you and Ian, I assume, in a room, unless there's, there's more people. Depends, yeah. That, is that, like, the core? It's always the two of you, or is there, are there other people involved? Um, well, at, at the very beginning, right. like the, the nucleus of, of everything. Probably the nucleus. Uh, it's me and Ian, and then my wife Rochelle. She does a lot of the choreography for the oh, cool. any of the groups with the high school too, Chino Hills. Right. Um, and Steven Estadio is like kind of my right hand guy, like visually, and four of us sort of talk things out. Cool. But it's rarely like, okay, how can we get more points? Like it's a very strange. Yeah. It's usually so. It's it's a universal thing, regardless of if if it's behind the curtain in design realm or overtly in front of the program, like speaking right. to the kids. Right. And I would imagine like to, um, from my world, I think the idea of commerciality and, and general appeal to a broad audience maybe is something that is part of pop music or popular music in the broader sense, whether it's rock or pop or whatever, but it's sort of built into what it is that you have to, you have to think about mem like how it's going to affect you emotionally. It, you almost have to tick boxes in a certain sense, and that's sort of built into why you love it in the first place, right? Like a great a great show should win, or it should be in the top few, right? Right. A great show executed well. So it's almost like you don't need to think com competition. You need to think doing this activity well on every level ends up. I think you just hit, you hit on a, a really. Uh interesting thing where we, we it's almost like and John's been, I know John's been really active in this um, behind the scenes stuff with the the process and the sheets and the, the committees yeah. um, of the of the um, circuit and we think about like what you just said a great show should win or the great show should win mm. how do we quantify that in a micro sense so that we ensure that the greatest show always wins because if the sheets are messed up and the math is wrong and there's some philosophical point or, you know, declaration on the back of the sheet that 
is going to work against you. You're, yeah. you're going to get results that you're not expecting. And that's happened over the years, um, over the decades, I should say. And the sheets have been slowly dialed in, but it's just interesting hearing you say that, that, that seems to be, I mean, you would agree, I, at least I, I hope that we all agree as a activity that the greatest show should win and how do we divvy up and quantify every aspect, the components all the of a great show, right? Yeah, and, so and that, not and not just the greatest show, but something that's really important to the circuit and to all of us, I would hope, mm-hmm. is like any type of show too. It doesn't have right. to be. There's there's so many different styles of show and ensembles, and it's like all of them, if done well, should have a chance to be super competitive. And I think that, like the percussion thing has done has been doing that really well every year. Mm-hmm. The top groups are different, and it's awesome to watch. Like, I yeah. don't feel like there's a formula where it's like, okay, this year, like, I don't think if any of the top independent world groups said, right. Right. okay, well, if we just do this and this, we'll probably win. Like, there's, there's no consistency there because it's just great groups and it's different ideas and things you're seeing every year. That kind of shows that you're constantly tweaking the, the inner workings of what the competition is, if that can happen. You know, it can right. Be- I think in the context of indoor, um, I feel it's it's in a really healthy place. Yeah. That's great. You know, I always <laughs> kind of obsessed with this idea of relating mixed martial arts to music <laughs> and things like this. And specifically, I don't know if we've talked about it much relative to, you know, like winter percussion season, but, um, you know, there's a scorecard. Let's say like you take a mixed martial arts fight that goes all three rounds and it's a really close fight and it seems like nobody lost. How do you pick who won? And I'm sure... I'm sure there are seasons where the top three, it almost feels a little bit like they could right. be switched around a little because it depends on how things are weighted. Well, there's, there's a cool little term um, that uh, Mark Thurston, who's the, the director of um, WGI Percussion, uh-huh. um, he always says the performance of the night. Hmm. So you very well could have the greatest show collectively or historically that season not win because they just didn't have the magic on that night. And, and, and that, in that respect, it is more, but could they win show of the night? Is that what you're saying? Or no? Oh yeah. I mean, that's happened. That's yeah. happened where, where a group has just, um, just come from behind and, uh, and had the magic of the night and, and pulled it off. And the group that might've been the, you know, the expectation, um, maybe falls a few places. Funnily enough, they have, you know, in, in the UFC, they have fight of the night, performance of the night. And ah. Sometimes somebody low in the card who's not a ranked fighter, they can have a great fight where, you know, it's, it, you can't even tell who won and it's fight of the night or something like that. You know, and right. and, Yeah, and there's something philosophically cool about knowing that no matter where you were last night, mm-hmm. it's a new day and that you're starting fresh um, in, um, I'd like to think, and I, I don't have a problem stating it. There might be people who, who differ, but I'd like Uh-oh. to think politic free. Like it mm. doesn't matter what your logo is, what your name is, how long you've been doing it. Um, that seems that like the, people I mean, can come out of nowhere and just do well because they did well. That seems like kind of a description of the last three or four years, which is the, the years I've been like watching and involved a little, but it has seemed kind of like it's sort of just been flip-flopping even from, you know, West Coast finals to big finals. And yep. how has that been for you? Like to see that 
it's been a really tight, not oh, race, yeah. but like, I guess it's, it's a few groups operating at a really high level and it's that apples and oranges thing where it's like, whoa, it's not yeah. about the competition, but look what everybody's doing artistically. It's so different, but so cool. Right. It's, it's just what it is now. Like groups are really good and even just from SEPA finals to the next week, like so much can change in the quality performance and just in a bigger room. That's another one, you know. Oh, right, yeah. The way a show can read in a smaller room compared to like the UD is just massive, like where we are in Dayton at the end. Yeah, that's, so interesting. that's definitely the, uh, the, the X factor. Like when you get in there, it's like, oh, whoops. And is it always, here's a question, is, do the groups perform really differently in in an environment, say, where sonically it's just, it's a much bigger space. You're feeling a much bigger space. Is it harder for the group itself to perform or does it just translate differently to the, to the judges and to the stands and to people enjoying it? Um, do you find that those are the same thing? Like let's say a show that's really intricate and detailed becomes harder to play and therefore doesn't translate as well to right. to the audience or, you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, it, it's, I mean, it's funny because, I mean, technically we've never performed for indoor so <laughs> I, I would not know 100% how it feels to them I just yeah. know you they usually know or do you notice they're more dirty in the bigger room or something it, all the rooms are pretty terrible except okay. for one so it's just kind of <laughs> they're all different and everything's crazy and is that one the finals uh, on west coast that yes, room's pretty yes. good right? that is incredible <laughs> I, was gonna, I was about to ask which one are you talking about like, we, all, we all know <laughs> sitting in the stands I can tell it's like wow this is Pretty dry and awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, but there's awesome. something magic about the end of the UD where it, the space is actually not that big. It's just a little bit bigger than your performance floor. Mm. And there are people all around. Which and helps it's Sonics, right? It's crazy. So the energy at the end is, for the performers, you can't touch that. I got to fly out for the yeah. one. Yeah, you do. be awesome. Yeah, it's so, funny about, you, you mentioned the just the people everywhere. Sometimes we have... Uh, we have um, preliminaries that that basically they're just trying to get everybody in the right order for the following night. Mm-hmm. And uh, there'll be like 10, 15 people in the stands, depending on what class you are and what time right. you go on, especially mm-hmm. the high school division. <laughs> yeah. And it's, man, it's tough. You really start to realize at that point how much of a, there's like this symbiosis between the audience and the performers and the, the older and more mature, more professional they get, like in the, in the upper range of independent world, the more they're immune to that. Mm. But it's, it's really interesting watching a high school deal with that, like 10 people in the stands and they, and they have to, you know, they have to emote, they have to play as if they're getting feedback. Right. Um, right. Interesting thing. So I, I know you guys have, have uh, you've had uh, a lot of success in the high school open class um, with Pacifica and, going on at 9 a.m. Yeah. Wow. to an empty room. I don't know all the stats, but just to bring Adam up to speed, like Pacifica, basically, you guys, how many times did you win? Like six, seven? There was, it was a seven year, there was five championships and two silvers in a seven year period. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. So awesome. basically, you know, for all intents and purposes, nearly undefeated. Um, wow. And, I'm sure you guys had some early performances. Oh yeah, there's a some, lot. Of, there's a lot of coaching that goes into that. It's yeah. it's. 
I know, I know you guys flew all the way out here and we've been hyping this up, but just the reality is there's probably going to be 20 people there right now, but that cannot affect anything we're doing. Like you guys give me a hundred percent in those final runs and rehearsals. So that's what this is going to feel like right now. Yeah. Especially their, their, uh, uh, their persona was very crowd right. friendly. It so, was, it so was it like could a, get a little, but it could get challenging if the crowd was not there. That's what I'm, that's and, what I and mean. It's like, it's like trying to, <laughs> it's like you're talking to a wall, you right? Know? It's yeah. like Freddie Mercury performing in a coffee house. Like <laughs> something about it's going to feel Basically, a little yeah. over the top. Maybe. Right, right, right. But that's, that's all about setting up. You know, that's going to happen. So you just get ahead of it. Yeah. You're like, you almost overdo it. Like, there won't even be a single human there. Nothing will happen. And they're like, okay. And then it was like a hundred people and they're like, oh, that wasn't as bad as you thought. That's so, cool. Yeah. <laughs> what, is your, them. what is your process for preparing students? And let's, let's go ahead and talk about uh, like at the upper end, at the, the higher level. With, right. Like, oh, I just think it's interesting how much time we spent talking about like competition because in my mind coming here, I'm like, that's like the last thing on my mind right now. But it's interesting because yeah, like just the way you announced us, like they do competitive percussion. Like, that's such a weird <laughs> way. Like, I guess that's true, but it's not. It's not the first word right. that I would think. For and that's certainly. It's cool for me to hear. I mean, that you guys share very. It seemed like a very similar um, philosophy about it. And for me, I when I, you know, I left it so long ago. I was a kid, you know, and then right. Me and Mike have just stayed in touch, but I've only been kind of back involved and even still at a distance. So that's the thing that kind of strikes me the most is like, oh, music competition. You know, all I think right. about is like the only thing relative to that is like American Idol or The Voice or something. And it's right. always ridiculous, like yeah. competing in art, you know? So, right. well, and I'm not trying to sound like super zen, like it doesn't matter. Like we all get competitive, but it's just a, yeah. Like when we're writing the shows, I'm not thinking about that competition or when things don't go maybe the way you want, there's like a reality that this isn't a sports game. Mm -hmm. And there's also so much respect between the ensembles. So, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? Oh, I'm totally. not trying to come off like a Buddhist here. Like, <laughs> like hold on. How is this going to play back? Like, you know. Right, right. Yeah, but I think that, of the question hitting me, like how much do you think about money when you're, right. when you're working on music? And it's like, right. well, maybe it's, it's five. So it's one in 5% of my thoughts. Like it's one in 20 thoughts. I have to sort of think about commercial. I have to sort of check in with it maybe, but it's not my driving force. It's not why I do it, but it's just sort of like part, part of it in a right. way. It yeah. has to be integrated, but it's not like driving anything. Right. Is that kind of similar in a way, or is it not even that much? Or maybe it depends on the I part don't know. of the process. That, that's hard. That's hard to say. I know what you're saying. I, I mean, didn't want to overfocus on that because right. it's whatever. But just for me, it's fascinating because it is a competition right. at the end of the day. And there, it's, I think there's certain things like we do have to like we can't pretend like nothing matters and we can do anything we want. Like we're right. like, okay, within our show, we, let's make sure there's that snare moment. Let's make sure everyone feels like they have their moment. And there's certain things, but it's mm -hmm. not necessarily to get the points. It's like there's a lot of factors totally. in what we're doing. So it, I don't know. Competition is, isn't really that the top priority or anything with all that. But yeah. what's interesting is what I would say about competition. I always talk to the members about, you know, they'll, they'll come off the floor and that whatever, they've had a great run, but it doesn't work out or they have a terrible run and they win the whole thing by a lot. And it's like, guys, look, mm. this is what we're always talking about is it's all about your performance and how you feel about it. And for us, it's a lot about how the show comes together and how we feel about it. Cause we've all had shows. We were thought were okay. They did really well. Wow. And shows that were, we thought was the best thing we've ever done that just didn't do very well. So you, there's an X factor with, yeah. with so much going on, right? Sometimes it can be greater than some of its parts. 
Yeah. And you like a lot of the times, like, like we'll say it's like, I'll just say it's Chino Hills. Like if they come off the floor and it was just not good, but they win. I'm like, so do you, do you feel really good now? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. okay, great. You won. But what does that, that has nothing to do good with that you get a, another chance next week. Right. Yeah. So it's just, yeah. And I see a lot of times, this will be my last fight reference, but that happens a lot <laughs> when somebody wins a fight and feels like they lost because the way they won was maybe by disqualification or something stupid. So they're just like, it's really not my best performance. So it doesn't feel like a win. Right. Which is interesting, which I think yeah. is cool because it shows what your, what your focus is on. It's always a weird thing too. Cause we have, we have like penalties in our activities. So sometimes. Oh, like a timing thing. You can get like, Oh, cause they didn't set up their gear fast enough. We win. It's yeah. Like, you had an XLR cable on the floor and like got docked. I don't know. Didn't RCC get like super nailed for something? Recently? <laughs> what are next, you talking about? Next subject. <laughs> uh. Hey man, I'm the one that said it. Yeah. Uh. We all have. We all have. That we seems extremely difficult. And I would imagine that being the least fun part to practice and make yeah. sure that's dead on, right? Yep. How to get on and off. Yeah. Fast. Actually, actually one of, one of the, I think the, um, there was a year where I was with RCC where we had an issue with a cable, but, uh, but yeah, we, we just kind of, you feel it. Like it's not when, my it, cable. when it happens to somebody else, you're like, Oh, that could have been me. Mm. Cause nobody is immune to the, the cable demon that's out there. <laughs> it's going to get all of us at some cable. point. Yeah. I mean, there's been uh, really, I, I was kidding when I said, you know, next topic, but sometimes it's, it's like you just let it go. There's been groups where stuff hasn't turned on, not just electronic, not just uh, audio gear, but video gear. And it's just move on, next topic. Yeah, it's hard yeah. to hold that against somebody. Yeah, you can't. It just, you never know. Could have been anything, you know? So I'm curious what your, um, you give us the quick, like, or not even quick, take as long as you want, background on your musical journey from like what right. what got you into music, what happened even educationally and then what led you here and what your influences are. Oh boy. Woo. All right. I got two hours. Let's go. That's a whole, I mean, that's a whole, <laughs> well, I, maybe I should just say I prefer to stay in an enigma. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and just not answer anything. Uh, that's going to make a great podcast. Hat. Yeah. It's a terrible podcast. We'll so, guess. um, the, let's try the, the shortest version of it, I guess. I grew up locally, um, in Tustin. Okay. Nice. Um, we didn't have a percussion instructor or anything. Um, so it was, it was a weird like drumline experience because you're just sort of on your own and you know you have no idea what you're doing because you don't have an instructor. And it was like the early 90s. So there's a lot of bad situations. There's no internet. I mean, you're just, you're literally on your own. Um, but I do remember going to like that first competition. Was drum the drumline activity kind of what got you into drums or were you playing drum no, set before that? or not how, at all. Where yeah, did it yeah. really start? So. Right. Well, way, well, I always want to yeah. play drums. And then okay. my, my parents made me, they were like, you're too young. So play guitar first. I'm like, all right. So I, I play guitar. Well, that's interesting. Luckily. That's cool because I still play guitar. Um, and then I want to play drums again. And then it was like, we have too many drummers. You have to play saxophone. So, I mean, it just took me forever to get to the point where I could actually play drums. And then finally Whoa. everybody just said, okay, we get it. Like even, it was like five years of kind of fighting wow. to do it. You know, I just knew that I wanted to do it. I don't know why, you know. What age was it? The 10, 11, 12? Right. Okay. For sure. That's what it was for me too. For sure. But it was all drum set and that was cool. And then, you know, 
I don't even want to join the marching band. It's one of those things. I showed up for 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 band, thinking it's dorky. Like and they're that like, kind you of you won't need any instruments today. And I was like, what are you talking? What in the world are we gonna do? Like, no idea. And then like they sent me out. So we were marching around. I was like, I'm quitting. I don't want to do this. You know, like I mean, a hundred percent. And some of my friends were like laughing what at was me. Was it a hot color guard girl that made you stay in, or like? That's a good. Like, that's a good question, actually. Like, I don't know why. I remember day one just not being interested at all. But then you were just you know. In it. I just wanted to play drum set, man. I don't. I had to do marching band to be eligible to play drum set. Huh? That was the rule at our school. So that's that's the only reason I joined. Wow, that was the dangling carrot. Yeah. I and wonder. I, I actually I, turned it down until my junior year. I didn't join until my junior year. I don't think I was really into it either. But I, it might have been like you and Roger that gave me a thirst for it or an idea of like, oh, I just thought there's some great players who are awesome. This thing's cool. I'm in the drum line, not the marching band. Like I remember that. <laughs> right, I tried to make right. a distinction. <laughs> yeah, with even that, it was like, I don't know about any of this. And then you kind of see, like, I saw a set of tenors for the first time. You oh, know? yeah. And That'll I'm like, do it. what's this all about? Like, this is, this is awesome. Yeah. I'm terrible, but this is awesome, you know? But I remember just doing that and not really knowing what I was doing. You go to that, I just, like, always remember. I'll never forget, like, the bus pulls up to the competition. I'm, like, looking out the window, and I just hear, like, and I'm just like, like, I'd never heard that sound in my life. And, and that's not a joke. Like, people hear all that on, you know, on YouTube or whatever. Like, nothing. Like, yeah. the tuning, the clarity. And I was like, just like, and also, like, then I got immediately embarrassed about, like, oh, oh man, what are we about to do, you know? But, <laughs> but mostly it was like, that's awesome. Like, I, w- I want to know what that's all about. And we never got an instructor and, and all that. But then, so like my sophomore year of high school, I went and joined uh, Santa Ana Winds, this local youth band. Mm. Um, they only did parades, so that was awesome. <laughs> but learned a ton there. I mean, that's where it's like you, you go there and you're drumming with people and you have instructors and it's like everything's making sense. I'd taken private lessons. Like I knew what rudiments were, but, right. you know. Um, and then I was simultaneously doing this like VK. They had like a B, B line. It was just called VKB. And it wasn't indoor. Yeah, I think I remember that. It was outdoor. Yep. Wasn't it, Float doing that thing too? Yeah. Yeah. So that's Tom right, Float that's was right. doing it and they were playing all like the hits <laughs> from all of his hits. And I wasn't good enough at all, but I, I like snuck in somehow and I was playing drum set. And I got to like meet all those guys and hang with those guys. And Tom Float, one of the coolest guys there is on the planet pretty much, but I was like a sophomore in high school and I'm just like sitting watching the snare line. Wow. Just like can't even believe what's happening. You know, like these guys are so good and, for me. And he's like, come on over, man. And he like throws me on a drum and I'm just like, Oh God, <laughs> you know, but you remember those things. And it's like playing, like, I think everybody who's in this activity remembers that first time where you play with like a whole section. It's a completely different feeling than your high school drum line, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was fortunate, like early on to just sort of see enough things like this is cool. I want to do this, but I don't know how. And then my junior and senior year of high school, I, st- I just taught my own high school. We still never have never got an instructor for four years. You just kind of are, are, are we the same? Are we the same person? <laughs> I don't think backstory. we're the same person. <laughs> we're the same backstory. Interesting. This is this, maybe this is. But like, we are it, in the same place at the same time. Interesting. So, yeah, hmm. you're not yeah. that much. Of a new like guy. literally, so 1995. It's like okay, I want to do this. I'm, I want to do like second semester drumline. So we buy like a roll off chart. We are not the same person. <laughs> laughing about that. You know, we are not the same. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you even? No, say no, that. no. It's just for everyone who knows us. It's just like, come on. <laughs> but it is super interesting though, because this this is almost like 
how do you create the per the people you are today? It's 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 almost like oh yeah, you would no make internet. sense that you have a similar background, right. like loving drum set, coming to the activity, bringing a different thing to it, and kind of being in that. Right. What I think would be looked at. This is maybe too broad and big of a statement, but it's almost like who are the Bill Gates and Steve Jobs of the activity, you know, and when you look back at the history of when they came up, they happened to be, you know, at that 19, 20 year old age when the personal computer was like starting to get invented and they had access to those big computers. And I don't know, there's something about the marching arts. Would this be late eighties for both of you or early nineties for you? Yeah. I would say I was a, a late bloomer too. So it was early '90s for me. Okay. Even though I wasn't, I was already out of high school, but yeah, because I my freshman year was '91, and you had been teaching how many years by then? Two. Just two. Wow, that's crazy. Well, two admission. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So what what kind of music were you into during that time? So you're doing marching percussion, and right. loving it. Right. What were well, you listening I was, to? I was doing marching percussion, but I was all, mostly like I just loved playing in bands. Yeah. I was just in. As many bands as I could be in. Original bands, cover bands, what all, was it? All original. All the, you know? Okay. You just got to do the thing. Um, and yep. at first it was like more like rock for sure. Listen to like a lot of Tool and okay. listen to a lot of the Pearl, Pearl Jam. I mean, it was the early 90s, man. So, you know. Yeah. The grunge thing was huge. That was like. Soundgarden? All of our friends. All of it. Yeah. It's like all of our friends were listening to the same stuff, you know. So we were kind of in bands like that. And, and then, it's interesting. That period of bands too was very. Some of them had progressive elements and odd time, and some of them were very straightforward and blues-oriented, like Pearl Jam, but Soundgarden right. and Tool, yeah. odd time stuff, is very like attractive to drummers or something for everybody in that period. Anyway, keep going. Right. So, and Nirvana was a big one, and you know. Yeah. All the staples, you know. Yeah, stuff's and still then great today. I remember, because Dave Matthews is like one of the biggest probably influences musically for me, mm-hmm. um, Carter Bofer, but the whole thing, the music, the drumming, everything. But I remember a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, he's like, you got to check this out. And I like played it and I didn't like it. You know, <laughs> I was like, what is this? Like there, it just didn't feel right at all, but it, you know, it grows on you. Yeah. And then it became my favorite thing. And we see him live and do Under the whole the thing. Under the Table and Dreaming. And, that, oh that yeah. Under the Table and Dreaming. And I had all the tapes, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of like college recordings and stuff, mm-hmm. right? I just, I was like going through those the other day. Really? Like I have a ton of them, you know. This is all pre-internet, so you're just... Did you get into you're them? You're on your own. <laughs> Tape trading. It was a whole yeah. thing. Oh, that's crazy. Right. Were you into that band from Under the Table and Dreaming, and you went back, or were you into them before they were like on a major level? It was like 95, so it was right around then. Okay. Yeah, that's when that came out. Right I remember being out. at Tower Records in the listening station, seeing that record, putting it on and going like, he sounds like a higher-pitched Eddie Vedder, but there's more drumming? Right. What is this thing? Like, like violin? Like, yeah. It tweaked my head too. Right. Yeah. So I ended up playing a lot of music in that style for a while and later high school and after with a few friends that were just all in. Were you oh, that's awesome. just solely on drums at that point? Because I know you, you yeah. have yes. a singing background and so right, you're off right. guitar by, by now. Yeah. So you're not, so like, you're not into the, the right. Dave Matthews like acoustic jam style or is that... That's not yet. So I'm like playing drums and all that style. And then, you know, your friends go away to college or whatever happens. And, mm-hmm. and then you find yourself sort of without a band, but you're in college studying. I'm studying music. Okay. And I'm like, well, I liked what we were doing. So I like continued it on my own. On your own. Sort of learning and come up with my own things. Were you recording them or just kind of learning them? and Recording things, okay. yeah. And having a couple different groups of, of band, you know, of different yeah. guys. And 
which is funny because I met Ian at Long Beach State. So we were doing the, like studying music. I was a couple years older. Okay. Um, and then by the time it was like the, this band that I was doing, I was I'm teaching drums this whole time. Like we're skipping through some things, but <laughs> uh, just sort of that, that outlet was happening. And then Ian became the drummer in the band. <laughs> Which, that you were, were you fronting it or yeah, just playing guitar right. and singing? Right. And the best part That's of awesome. the story is a friend of mine's like, I was like, we need a drummer. And he was like a hand, hand percussionist. And he's like, I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but like, I think Ian. And at that moment, I was like, oh, come on, man. I don't know. Because <laughs> it was that sort of almost relationship in school. Like, who's this young guy? He's just all over the map. But it had been a couple years later, and he, he's very hard worker, super talented. He's really good. Did he have a haircut oh, okay. by then? Yes. Because <laughs> that hair was cut by the second semester. <laughs> There's this old picture of Ian. I don't know if it's from high school. His hair is just like. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Mad scientist. Yeah. Right. So early on, you were like, he, he wouldn't be good enough to be in my band, and then all of a sudden he was? Was it that kind of thing, or was it a more of a rivalry? It wasn't a rivalry. Okay. It was more just like, I don't know, like a personality thing, too. Uh, like, okay. This guy is a little that's cool. eccentric. You know, I was going to ask about that, and I don't want to get off the topic of your story, but I'm fascinated by dynamic duos. You know, like, I've had a part, I had a partner in my production company that I really see as like, the way we were different was so important to how we were able to work together and have success. And, and I know that you and Kevin are very different. Are you and Ian like very different personalities, but you get, you come together in a certain way that just makes magic or how does that, and yes. that sounds like it started then, right? <laughs> we, were, we were pretty different. We were different off the bat for sure. Okay. Right. And it was, was it like butting heads different or just sort of like, whoa, he's alien to me. I'm a different type right. of person. Right. Just like different personalities. Okay. You know? So how did that relationship develop? Well, start with the band. It was of? just cool that we we were playing music together in not a drumline way at all. Like he was he was making fun of drumline at that time. Oh, you know, interesting. He's like band dorks and all. You know, it was like, <laughs> all right, man. He's like, I played tenors. I'm like, yeah, you don't understand. Like the thing is, things are evolving. You don't really understand what the activity is right now. Uh, okay. But we we were able to work together in like a relationship of writing music. So no competition, no, it's not marching band, it's nothing. And just doing tunes and, yeah. and, and that's, that's where we started and we came from that. We actually like shared a drum set seat also in a, um, in a jazz band in Long Beach State. Oh, so cool. that's where we really got to kind of know each other a little better. But we both come from a background that's not marching percussion. It's like jazz band drumming, which is setting up music. That's like your number one job. Like once, you'll get a little window once in a while, but besides that, set everything up. You know, and that was sort of the philosophy when I first started doing marching percussion. So oh, really? Take it, take it from a drum set perspective. I'm not saying it worked out perfectly, but that was the, the intent. <laughs> when you say setting up, do you mean to literally rhythmically like, like right. setting things up? Yeah, yeah. Like that's your role, right? Mm -hmm. You're the drummer. You know? Yeah. So, but we got to kind of do all that, like making music separately. And then like, I remember the first time, we've probably told this, but whatever. The first time um, we were like getting ready to record the, you know, an album. And I was like, all right, man, we got to lock the, the tempo down. So we got the, the Dr. Beat out and he, dun, he was dun, just dun. laughing. He was like, what is this thing? And it's just so loud. And he's, and then like, but 10 minutes in, he's like, this is the best thing ever. Cause wow. we're rehearsing like a drum line to rehearse with a Dr. Beat, you know, <laughs> like just in somebody's Sick. headphones or blaring no, in no, the no. room. Just beep, 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 beep. And I'm like, let's go everyone. Like it's all been chill until like, we're about to put some money down on this album. Like, let's go. We're not wow. going to get in the, we're not going to practice with a click for the first time in there, you know? But what a crazy generation we're a part of. We straddle the line between so many things. No internet, internet. Right. No digital recording for the home studio. Digital recording for the home studio. All this stuff. But just the idea that, like, 
there was a now kids grow up and it's like a click is their yeah. part of their life. But yeah. I remember the first time playing a click and just going like what? Right. And there's that famous story of Steve Smith um, in the studio with Journey, and they put a click on and he just literally couldn't play to a click. And they had to just ditch the idea. I've never heard that. Huh. Yeah, it was. It can be really hard depending on how you approach playing drums. But anyway, that's hilarious that you right. have that in a band situation. Right. So I do think that we come from just a different place, a different starting point for sure than probably most of the people who just marched a ton and learned from all the people and had had way more answers when they started. I think you hit on something that that I've always felt like that this whole drumline thing, like whatever it is, wherever it came from, it was like a, a secret backdoor into composition. Right. And I, I know we've, we've mentioned this a bunch, but like if you were a composer trying to compose for, you know, a string quartet or an orchestra or something like that, having access to that instrumentation is nearly impossible. Like you gotta have, you gotta have some, mm-hmm. some cred to, to have access, you know, for a wind ensemble to play your piece. Um, and I always felt like, like this drumline thing, I'm using that in quotes, this mm-hmm. percussion ensemble, <laughs> um, is, it was just like, you know, being 18, being 18 or 19, you have a backdoor into composition. Like, hey, I'm going to write this thing and then I'm going to hear people play it tomorrow. Right. And, and this, is, this is before the technology was really figured out. Right. Like now there's virtual drumline and there's a lot of things, but back then it was like wood blocks or bass drums. and It you, wasn't even that, it was paper. Pencil. Yeah, right. Like, it was definitely paper and pencil. And then it became a little bit of just like a very minimal amount of like sound. When did you so switch you, to to uh, digital notation? Um, as soon as I could. I was just on Encore, like a t- just a very basic program. Do you remember like the year? Probably 97. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I didn't switch. 1897. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't switch till... Uh, Oh five, right? I remember hearing that. Yeah, yeah. Oh five, and I actually, I think I continued one more book in oh six on pencil, but I, I had done the bulk of my work on digital by then. But you're very into the analog paper and pencil. Thing I still am to this day, right? but I would no way I would write. But well, maybe I might. I don't know, <laughs> <say> no way. <laughs> I actually thought about that. You know, trying to write like a. Just for as a novelty, mm-hmm. you know, like write the opener in pencil and pass it out and see what the kids say. On parchment with <laughs> right. dipping the ink. But yeah, that's, wow, you're ahead of me. See, I was late bloomer. Yeah. Yeah. But even still, I mean, the sounds were so terrible. So there was still yeah. like that early teaching. It's just so exciting. You hear it come to life. Like you write it and you're like, what's it going to be like? Timbali tenors. You know? Yeah. And then you get to hear it kind of right away. <laughs> yeah. Um, nowadays, the recordings, our recordings are so good that like, I almost wish you could keep I'm them. like, well, I'm going to pass it out. I'm going to wait a few months for it to sound like it's supposed to. You know, it's like. Which is, <laughs> I've wondered that before. It's almost like a, a, you've almost heard it at its pinnacle in a certain sense. And then you right. have to sort of start over and go go get to it. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously there's the fun in that, but yeah. it's different. Than who you, who than does your, your ensemble MP3 mixes? Is that you or, or Ian? Oh, Ian, for sure. Yeah? Yeah. Does he put the battery loud enough? Depends. <laughs> I always give Kevin crap. Like, Usually man, not. You want to put the battery as loud as they're actually going to be? Like, right. Come on, man. Right. <laughs> Lately, yes, it's been a little better because we do, like, if we were going to play it for the members, 
he started doing what we call like a member mix where like the battery is louder. Oh, I see. Because it's more exciting. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait, shouldn't that just be like the mix? Because that's what it's going to be. Like, when oh, is the man. battery I'm soft? Uh, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So how, um, how does your relationship work in terms of, um, let's say like from coming up with the concept? Does it tend to be one or the other of you that is the instigator of things? Right. And uh, the other one is the more or maybe organized or how does it work? I, I do most of the concept stuff. Okay. I like organize things and keep thoughts and watch videos and whatever, everything that is out there and just organize things into different shows and wonder what might be someone someday. And then I okay. kind of wait for the right year or the right whatever. And then I sort of present it, you know, not like full, not like... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, with an overhead you know, projector, it's never like I don't know what we're gonna do. What do you think? It's like okay, I have like three thoughts. I just want to talk to you about this one thought, and then for sure things change quite a bit once we get everyone in the room. But usually the the initial idea. But generally, people are waiting for you to like present yeah. the thing you've been thinking about. Yep, that's really interesting. Very so similar you, to you. You have you have like a I don't want to say a catalog, but you have like several irons in the fire before they're actually, before you're in need yeah. of, to present a, a concept. Right. It's kind of like any director has like four or five movies they want to make and they're all in different stages of development. Yeah. It's kind of like- No, right. It, it's, well, because every group is its own thing and from season to season, things change and there's a personality or a direction you want to take from, you know, something that's different than the year before, like whatever the motivation is. So- like sometimes we'll have a like an idea that's just on the list, right? And then it'll come up like, "Hey, well, is this the year?" <laughs> you know? And right. Like, Maybe with who? Oh. And you you know it clicks like, yeah, this is the year we do that show we've been talking about for four years. Like it's ripened. Like it's the Chino Hills year, and we're like, awesome. That you has know? never. I've never experienced that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're you're a blank slate. <laughs> Guy, I'm out right? in the desert looking for water. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> seeing yeah, mirages. I hear people. One of the questions we get a lot for the podcast is, you know, about the Bloom trilogy, and I think a lot of people have thought or assumed that the Bloom trilogy was like premeditated. No, absolutely not. Post meditated. <laughs> yeah. The the last yeah the last one was the last chapter so to speak was but yeah the 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 first two and the fact that it was a trilogy was something that was retrospective like for sure. Is it ever, um, when you have this, say, small handful of concepts you're, you're working with, is it apparent immediately which group they might go with? Or are they kind of, who knows, depends where they develop. It could go to Pulse or it could go to a high school. Or Right. It, there's no way to know. I don't know. Especially in the, the last, like, last three or four years, things are different. Just because you've mm. been doing it kind of for a long time. It's like my 10th year at Pulse. So it's a... It just comes from a different place. You never know where it's going to come from. For mm -hmm. me, it's so much of what we want to do the next year is based off what we did the last year. Right. Things we liked, things we didn't like, maybe a concept that was like, that was neat. We didn't really explore it as much as we could have. Do you wait for auditions to see like, sort of what your assets are? Or you Not just, even a little bit, yeah. So do you, <laughs> yeah, actually, actually cool. I was curious about this too. Do you have instrumentation or any sort of novelty, specialty things in mind so you deliberately like solicit for that for your auditions or hmm. is it just sort of hope for the best? How does Most that work? of it's for sure. Hope for the best. Um, I mean, last year with Pulse, that was the only time it was like a 
we knew we wanted to do the string quartet thing. So that was a game changer as far as right. how do we find them? But also, how do you find them without just announcing yeah. we're looking for a string quartet in like September? Like that's not, I don't know. Yeah. kind of takes the fun away from it, you know? Right. And like, yeah. I'd say we've, we've probably never done that. I can't remember a time where we've done that. Right. Uh, like when we did the two drum sets, it was just, oh. It's organic. Hey, you want to go with two drum sets? It was actually, I think it was, it might have been Tiger's idea. He's like, hey, my buddy wants to, to play. Can I go with two drum sets? And we didn't plan it. It was just sort of just, right. yeah, let's, let's try it. And then once yeah. we started going, we kind of figured out, oh, we can do this, we can do this. Right. Well, I think Ian's had way more flexibility with that. I mean, a front ensemble versus a battery. Like, I need snares, tenors, basses, and cymbals. <clears throat> right. The biggest decision I'm making is how many we take. Well, it, you know, your right. string quartet, um, we, you know, we've never talked about doing that. That wasn't an idea that we ever came up with. But we had one of your string quartet people right. come to Broken City and say, hey, I did this thing last year, and um, you guys want a cello player? <laughs> it was like, uh, I don't know, do we? And we just thought about it. Like, oh, yeah, interesting. So yeah. she approached you guys. I, that's my memory. I'm, right, right. I don't know. I don't have the, all the facts, but right. She was awesome. She she was in our the Pulse Seventeen show as like the stand up bass in the okay. front ensemble. Right. Okay, I didn't super know that. cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. And that was like we knew we wanted that, and we found the right person. And then the next year, we kind of just won. It's like, well, we could keep her in the group because we like her. Like, yeah. let's do the string quartet. Hey, can you that's now play this cool instrument? Idea. Yeah, and that was the first year that was legal. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the string bass was legal, but then... But everything else Yeah, the not, violin, yeah. viola, like, those those were not legalized until last year. A cello is always yes. <laughs> right, right. <You> know? <laughs> Do you find that your, uh, your early influences still, like, inform your music, your choices today? Or is, are they yeah, so I internalized know. that it's just you have your voice and you kind of roll? Right, well... It like in terms of like, is there a Carter so, Beaufort right. thing going no. on in you, inside of you somewhere? Well, yes, but not <laughs> yes, but in no. marching percussion. So I, okay. I feel like that is pretty separate. Like the, I think yeah. the music we I listen to is very different than the music we're we're making. So specific. That's to, really interesting. Yeah, what's that divide rooted in? Is it just the activity or? Well, like my go-to is like a lot of singer-songwriter stuff. Mm. So that's not generally what you would think of as like drumline. Music. That's true. It doesn't you know, translate it for us. very directly. Yeah. It's never worked. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, we're stuck with it. You're stuck with me. <laughs> you will never let me go. Um, yeah, what, what singer-songwriters are you into? I mean, Dave Matthews for sure. One of my favorites, actually, is Ani DeFranco, and I was interested if you even knew. Oh, you, yeah. Yeah. I love that you know her. Yeah. Yeah. She's, I really love that, because most people don't. And no, she's, she's like, awesome. she's actually my actual, like, top influence for so many reasons she's basically a drummer on that guitar it's insane yeah and the lyrics and the storytelling and it's like she's like a folk singer except she's a not what you would ever imagine a folk singer to be legit right. poet yeah so i think i usually my go-to is like dave matthews but then for the people who really know it's like it's like Arnie DeFranco. yeah and she's Sweet. the um trying to pull up the Arnie DeFranco song that What's the one with the where the f bomb really just smacks you in the face? No, there's there's a there's a I couple. I guess there's a lot, right? <laughs> that doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> there's a couple. It I, I know who you're talking about, but off the top of my head, I'm 
early album. Anyways, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you guys don't know Annie DeFranco, she's worth checking out. She's, yeah, awesome feminist, like from the from the beginning. She's been doing this forever. Yeah, unshaved armpits, the whole deal. She's awesome. Has her own <laughs> record label, Righteous Righteous Babe, and yeah, she's been offered millions of dollars to to sort of like right. She doesn't do it. Doesn't do it. Stays stays indie because she knows what happens. She's extremely yep. bright. That's cool. So Annie DeFranco. Um, what about modern, like guys like Ed Sheeran and stuff? Do those right? Do those, those guys, those guys are a little more pop, but yeah, definitely. guys like John Mayer, are like right, the real deal, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's extreme a talent. I mean, mm-hmm. those not that the other. Yeah, I know when John Mayer them. just rages on a guitar, it's like it's hard to compare sometimes. Yeah, those singer songwriters too. You can tell there's a lot of st- time spent playing the guitar, understanding the guitar. Somebody like Ed Sheeran feels like he's more of a singer who's using the guitar as a songwriting instrument as opposed right. to an instrumentalist who's also, it's an interesting dividing line. Mm. Like I think about how much focusing on drums so long affects my songwriting. Like if I was just a songwriter having not studied drums, how different that would be. It makes a big difference. Mm. And also just, I guess your guys' background as being drum set players first and then getting into battery it has to have a pretty big influence. Are there any people in that world who don't play drum set and just have never used their feet for anything but marching and walking? I have no idea. <laughs> That's a good hi-hat. question. I think most. Yeah, who's the battery guy at RCC? Sean Vega. Yeah, Sean Vega. Is he a drum set player? I don't know if he started out on drum set. Tweet I th- us. I think... <laughs> if, if I remember correctly, I think... Sean Vega's very first instrument was a wind instrument. I, oh, I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And then he switched to uh, switched to drums. Right. One one of the biggest bummers for me in, in about the activity is I feel like most of the the players are only playing a marching type drum. Like that's mm. their whole experience. And then as soon as they age out, it's like so. You, do you get to play music again, or do you have to start over? Right. You know. Yeah. Which brings to me brings up to me the idea, the concept of drummer and just musician, player, and where that connects to being an artist, which is also similar to sort of the, uh, the connectivity between, you know, competition and art and just these two things that don't seem like they're the same. Like it's easy to, um, I'll make this thought a little more concise, <laughs> but the idea that it's easy, I think drums are the, are the instrument that's the easiest to approach from an athletic standpoint. So it's easy to just get, or and like, there's obviously that primal element to, to you're hitting things and you're making rhythm and it's making you move. And it's almost like you could relate it more to dance and movement and athletics, or you could take it to an artistic expressionistic place. Not that dance isn't expressionistic, but it's just fascinating to me. And I, I'm always curious when I look at a, one of your ensembles, just playing this incredibly intense music that's obviously been written by artists and how many of the people out there playing it have an artistic mentality or a more of a sports mentality? Like, I want to do this fast and accurately mm. or expressionistically and in touch with the music. Because you can sit down at a piano and just mechanically play something, and the piano does a lot of the work for you. Same with the drum. You can sit down and just play the drum or program it. Just, just the idea that you can program the show and it can sound great, and it's... It's really, it's a, it's a computer playing it. 
So when there when there's human beings out there playing it, like where does the art meet the the technique, and how do you guys deal with that when it comes to um, teaching them and kind of getting getting their mindset in line with, I guess, that more artistic elements of what goes on in the show? Hmm. I funneled that all down into a question right. <laughs> somehow. I, I think but, uh, I'm going to send this to my de facto. <laughs> well, I, I I had just a. I guess maybe, uh, maybe, 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 if, well, I maybe my question. if, if I could create just like a little boilerplate first and then we can maybe attack it. Okay. I think everybody does everything like the art, the expression, the, the technicality, the, the, the sporting aspect of it, the athleticism, everybody's doing everything. It's just Percentages? in what order, Oh, like what's your hierarchy? Yeah. Right. What are you putting first? And, and, to me, like if you if you put this certain something, let's just call it, you know, one, you put one as first and two is second and three is third, you start creating an identity. If I switch two and three, the identity changes. We kind of talked about this in the last right. one, yeah. So and <laughs> if you just you keep even all the way down the list, like number twelve, you switch that with eleven, the identity changes. Mm-hmm. So there's all it's like this like this DNA to the ensemble. So I don't I don't think it's a question of whether or not like oh this group doesn't express or this group doesn't yeah it's like well this group it's not binary it's just putting something else first or not I don't know maybe that's how I kind of see it I don't yeah, know that's a cool way of thinking about it it's, if that makes sense to you but. it's kind of similar to the competition yeah. question it was like no competition <clears throat> is not at the top it's somewhere lower and maybe on different different days of different aspects of writing or whatever it's in different very different places in the hierarchy, but um, it, it could even be. I'm sure you experience this all the time, where it depends on what time of year it is. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like some stuff is just built in already, and now we just right. it's got to be perfect. Well, right? I think they're just figuring out how to actually do it. Right, it's I would I would hard. assume most most groups probably across the whole country. It's mm-hmm. like you know you start, and it's like it's all about the hands and the technique, and it's very mathematical. Yeah. And then you kind of get on the floor and you're learning the dots and do the thing. And then there's like, all of a sudden at the end, you're like, oh yeah, perform. <laughs> and that's probably just, I mean, that's like most high schools, is, you probably don't have an option. That's probably what you sort of have to do. But like the way, the way Mike does it from the outside, it's pretty cool where the, like your exercises aren't just like mathematical and like there feels like more like, they're already in the style. They're in the show from the moment they sort of start drumming. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're never just standing there. And then when they get to the show, now they start feeling it. Like they're just always feeling it. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, so it feels like whatever your priorities are, or your list is more of just like, it's all just sort of one. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like because it's set up that way a little bit. And sometimes it's hard like if I'm at a rehearsal and I'm like watching people repping something and they're just, and they, I know they kind of have to do it sometimes. And I'm sure it happens at Broken City too. Like when you're, when they're separate, you know, but the videos when they're all together and they're playing, it all looks like it's like one goal in it the whole time. So we, that's, I think that's a good goal for a lot of people is like to try to, I, I was talking about like with my high school or whatever, I, I want to see them enjoying playing the drums as much as possible. Right. So it's not just you're sitting there thinking about all the things because that, that's not happening in the shows. Like you're performing in the shows, you're excited. So any way to sort of bridge that gap and create every time we're together, it's a bigger experience. So we're not just doing an on and off switch. Like, okay, everybody, 
sell it. Right, because they haven't been practicing selling throw in, it. Throw in that extra variable. <laughs> yeah. Because that'll make it good. And that can especially ruin everything. Yeah. Um, it the parallel works. I think about yeah. is the often in working with with you know pop singers. Let's call them pop just for the sake of the broad term. But the ones who are the most trained and who have been trained, you know, from a really young age, five six years old in the, like Broadway or classical, like they're trained singers. A lot of time, a lot of times they've been trained so technically, physically. This is the right way. This is the wrong way. Diction, you know that. Hmm. There's almost this like this separation between what they're doing and who they are, and what their how their soul is connected to what they're singing. So like if it's if it's disintegrated from the start, it's really hard to reintegrate. And you can hear it right away. Like oh, you're a singer who's been trained, and you can phone it in, and you can sound impressive. But like it's missing the immediacy of like what makes it alive and 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 special and heartfelt while also being technically sound. So it sounds like you guys are both kind of right. integrating that as soon as you possibly can. You try to. Well, you know, it's funny. You, you mentioned something earlier that got me thinking about um, drum set. And you mentioned that you don't kind of equate the two, but when I watch your groups, um, I feel that there's a, there's a similar, at least this is looking from the outside in, I feel that there's a similar approach that you don't, try to mask or hide what you're doing as far as the rudiment, the accent, the, the sticking. Um, and I think if your childhood is, was any, anything like mine, I was taught to hide that. Like a paradiddle should sound like natural sticking and it should look like, you know, natural sticking other than the fact that the, the left hand's coming up. But that everything should be like if you're playing some sort of um, sticking exercise, um, that the attempt is to get it to sound and look like natural sticking, straight up sixteenth notes. And the drum set part of me always hated that yeah. because I would never do that on drum set. Like I would never um, play a pattern and try to hide what that sticking was, or if you exaggerate a little bit more, try to hide when, when there was an impact, um, you know, playing a, a groove and then just like surprise ninja attack on a cymbal. <laughs> and I, I felt like a lot of my, the box that I was forced to play in as a, as a high school kid came from that. And I think the drum set created this, this sort of freedom of, if I'm going to hit a cymbal, I'm telegraphing that thing like you know, two, three, four counts ahead of time. You're going to know I'm hitting that cymbal. It's not a surprise. And so you translate that. Well, how does that, how does that translate into marching percussion? And you get these big preps. And you get, you get like when there's a sticking anomaly, you see it. You feel it. And the, the person who's playing it is, is uh, interpreting it because of the sticking. Right. Rather than trying to hide it. And I'm trying to get it, it to is a skill to hide it. Like, I'm not going to say that's not a skill. It is, it would be a skill. Like, if I were playing um, stick control, like, if I were right. playing, you know, right, 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 left, right, 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 left, right, 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 left, <laughs> and then, you know, right, left, 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 right, left, left, left. To hide the sticking is a skill. But it's something that I don't think I would ever use on drum set ever. There'd be, just be no context 
to ever hide the sticking. Because if I wanted that sound, I would just play it alternating. But if I wanted it to go, I might go right, 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 left, right. From a conceptual level, that's kind of what I mean by the athletic element of it. It's like there may not be a reason to play all these different stickings on an, on a one sound surface like the snare drum and get it to sound if you shut your eyes it should sound just like but you look at it and it's like threes and twos and alternating it's right. all switched up and whereas drum set you're usually doing that in order to split it between two different sound sources and get it to sound even right, on two right. different tensioned heads or a cymbal and a snare or whatever it might be it's for the purpose of but if it mm-hmm. sounds like that on a snare, you're like failing in a way, <laughs> right? Right, right? Unless it's on the rim or on the side or like it's on purpose. But well, Yeah, and I, I wanted to come back around and finish my... Yeah, sorry. Keep no, going. no, no, just so it, it makes sense. But like I see and hear like a drum set influence, whether you want to call it that or not, I see that with well, like when I watch Pulse or Chino Hills. Um, I see that, that you use sticking to phrase... Mm. You know what I mean? Right. Where that's not I the way I grew up, my my experience oh, yeah. was not a thing. You didn't use sticking to create phrasing. You just muscled the phrasing through. Whatever the sticking was, you muscled it in there. Right. And I mean that's that's how it was for me as well. Right. I mean just did through, you break out of that? Whether it's the youth band or I, I did end up marching like Pacific Crest, my age out. Like I was I wanted to get a little bit of in between school. Okay. I mean, you're doing things. For, for me, it was like where, wherever the moment was, I don't know what the year was, but everything was very separate. It was like music, drum set, songwriting, and then marching percussion was completely separate. And they, were, they would never even, I would never approach marching percussion the way I would on a drum set because you, I, I don't think you were supposed to. Like it felt like that at that time. It was a very different time period. It was almost 20 years ago. Um, and then, so everything I did, at, like in the beginning, I would mm-hmm. write things that were just just stupid. Like I would, it was this is not good music, and I would just kind of put it out there, and I'm like, well, this is like marching band, right? This is what marching drums do. And I'm like, I I never really liked it. It was like, just like in the in the <laughs> beginning, I'm like, okay, I guess we're doing the thing. And then finally, you know, you start hold on, like I, this doesn't even feel good. Like maybe I should start applying. I have all this information <laughs> from playing in bands and playing drum set yeah. and. Going like it was like everything I learned in music school was like okay that was great, and I just like threw it all aside and started teaching marching drums and kind of like embracing that kind world. of like a fool you know it's like mm. why, why would I ignore all of this information that I have why would I not be bringing this in and then slowly it turns into more about I don't want to see my guys like playing something that's like uncomfortable like uh, uh, there's like weird patterns just to do it like it should right. all feel good like it everything they play should be something I want to play. I think mm-hmm. it's probably a cool way of looking at it. And like it th- should be ergonomically musical. Right. Like, like it should feel good and mean something as opposed well, to deliberately you, hard, like an inverted, right. inverted, 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 inverted. And if you think about it, if you think about it competitively, <clears throat> excuse me, think about it just competitively, like just taking that aspect of it. If the kids are comfortable, they're going to play better. Hmm. Right. It's going to be better. So the the deliberately... I wouldn't say deliberately, but the 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 stylistic this, choice. Yeah, you know, it, know it's, yeah, it's it's really funny because I always felt like my my quote like manhood was being challenged if I didn't play things a certain way. Like you have to use all wrist, 
<laughs> and you know, you have to you have to get all of your you know, your your variable sticking things to sound like natural sticking. It's it's like our, you're not one of us, you're not in the club. Well, like in like a very strict Yeah. It's well it's like there's two heights. It's like, wait, wait, did you just bounce that? <laughs> right. You know, it's like, yeah. yeah, I did. And so so does Vinny Caliuta and <laughs> and Steve Gadd. They bounce a lot of stuff and it sounds really cool. Um, it seemed like maybe it, the activity was more of a vacuum before or something had like a sort of, I don't know, man, it was, it was, it was military sort of feel to right. it. Like there you, there was this, but, like, not, but not mil like if you look at military, the way military guys would play like on slings, I mean, that was like super yeah, loose right. and open. I Something happened. American rudimental drumming. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it's almost like a folk, like it's indigenous to the Americas, you know, like it's this thing that happened and I don't know. Might be a I don't know how it came from the you know the, the sling days into. I, it's probably the competitive aspect, really. If you sat there with your compulsories and you did your yep. your double stroke roll and you went through from slow to fast to slow and and trends it's probably to, where tend it came to do from. That though, right? They tend to go the opposite. I don't know. I think I think it would. I think what happened the tipping point, and it's it's not to say anything negative about that rudimental phase. I just think. Looking back at it now, it's its own thing because it's not what's happening now, mm. and it shouldn't be ridiculed. It shouldn't be you know that that's a dumb way to drum. It's just no, that's an, that's a way to drum, and that if you want that sound, like nothing's wrong if that's the sound you're looking for. Um, but I think what happened, the tipping point was people wanted to start to create music, like to do something expressive. And you just can't when you when you're bound by those rules of like you're not allowed to bounce. You got to use all wrist. You know? right. if, remember, if you use a Kevlar head, you're you're cheating. You know, right. like well, all, all that and mentality. Your, your taps have to be here. Yeah, like, or it doesn't count. Yeah. It's what it felt like. <laughs> right, right, like, right. Okay, right. feel good. It doesn't sound that great. Right. This might be a, a for all I know a dumb reference point, but I just remember the first time seeing the Cavaliers, probably in the late '90s. Were they known for being extremely, like, just tight, almost like regimented in a in a stiff way, but really intense? I just I kind of remember you know, that. Was it the Cavaliers? It's a f funny that you say Cavaliers because I, I think I think I, I yes, know, I know what you're talking about. I think okay. yes yeah. when you watch them warm up, but then I think about some of the music that they played. They would switch like it up in the late '80s, early '90s, and super super tasty musical stuff that was just. I remember liking it. I remember yeah. it appealing to no, me because I cool. kind of liked that intense quality. And then there were some lines that were just a little bit more loose. But when I think about that, that's, that's, I have yeah. this one memory of watching the Cavaliers warm up and it being like the opposite of, say, how Broken City plays. And I was surprised For sure. For sure. coming back to the activity and seeing the way that you were teaching them. I was like, whoa, I kind of remembered right. Mike being totally a different approach. And now your approach is much more... I guess ergonomic and, and naturalistic in some way. I think it's primal. It, it's just been a sliding rooted. scale of getting like the old like the the those old rules just sitting in the back of my head, thinking that they had to be adhered to. Even something as I mean, groups still do this. It's common, sticks in, sticks out. But even something like that, I I started to kind of push it. away from because right. it was just, too. I don't even know what it is. It's just there's yeah. something about it that just feels. It's like, yeah. like <laughs> I, 
What is it? Is it? I don't know. Kind of stupid. Like well, once old... again, like would you ever like play a drum set and then? Yeah, I used I... to because I was so trained to do it. <laughs> Sorry, I would kind of. Actually, to this day, if I if I solo like the overheads or room mics in a break in a song, I'm dudding and I don't know I'm doing it. Uh. I'm like, I'm like, is that me doing that? Yeah. 24 years 24. later. Jeez. That's called commitment. Yeah. It's called yeah. brainwashing. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's some questions on the Broken City Instagram. Shall we take a couple? Oh, so this is like live. This yeah, is happening. I, I wanna, <laughs> Not really, but these are questions oh, did you put that it out there? we didn't do last week. Oh, yeah. They oh, came in and they were general right. enough to apply to, I think, all of us. I have I have a question for John. I can save it for, for <laughs> no, last. Let's start with that. Right, let's start with that. All right. Because I've, I've wanted to... I'll, uh, a recorded answer for this. I feel like, feel like this could be a trap. No, 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 no. This, this I'm hear, super curious. This is like this the question. This question is for it's me. It's like Oprah and Lance Armstrong. <laughs> this is a selfish question. Have you ever uh, taken a performance enhancing drugs? <laughs> yes or no? You get, you get, got to get uh, John to, to smoke on the air like uh, Elon. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, oh, boy. So why do you do this? What? motivates you to do this I, I guess I can create a little bit of a situation here like if somebody just filled your bank account you'd never have a problem with anything for the rest of your life would you continue to do this and what is that thing that would cause you to continue to do that right oh, from talking I know why I got into it I feel like because now why, why do you no no I'm with continue. you so yeah, like yeah. But I think that it was like just not when you've never had it and you see it, you're like, what is that? Mm. There's like a different hunger, you know, than maybe the average person who's just went to a really good school and is just taught all the right things to do and then keeps doing it or doesn't, you know? So there's um, a curiosity and a yearning to do oh, it yeah. at a high level. Oh, yeah. It's like, man, why, other people have this thing. Well, I want to do this thing. Like, what is this? So I think, and then I know I'm getting, I'm not deflecting, I'm getting to it, but. I was even thinking coming into this, I'm like, I remember when I was graduating college, I was like, well, I didn't really march that much. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I'm never going to do anything in this activity. Like I don't, I didn't march the blue devils and I didn't learn from all these great people. And now I'm aged out. So this isn't even going to be an option for me, you know? So then you start teaching and you get super connected to the kids. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing. Like it's fun to start your own program. Like going to Pacifica High School in 2000 and just starting it from scratch, you know, and watching it build. And so those first couple, those first four years, you're like, we're all in this together. And you're in your Truly. early 20s, right? Yeah. And you're 21 and we're just doing it. Like, loving teaching. And it's awesome, you know. So you get hooked on that. And then it is, like you said, it's an avenue for composing. You know, I started writing front ensemble books just because I liked writing music. And I was like, this is like still feels like I'm doing my own thing, even though I'm teaching drumline, which you don't expect to happen. You know, but fast forwarding to sort of like, I never even thought I would be at a place like Pulse. You know, I was like, maybe I'll teach some high schools. I never even thought I'd have a world-class drumline. Like but Pacifica was it. That was it. That was the highest I could ever go. Like that's what I felt like mm. when I was doing it. Because I didn't have that experience, you know? So getting to that point now, it's like, it just feels totally different. Like we, to answer your question, like if I won the lottery, I think I would still be doing it because we're for sure not doing this for the money. <laughs> so that's kind of an easy answer, you know, but there's something about designing 
and like every year doing a completely different show or just the freedom to do sort of anything you want to do and just keep it going. And there's still the connection with members. There's still all the things like it's, there's not one thing. It's not like I love drumming so much that I would never stop. It's like, it's the staff. It's the staff who's come through the groups. It's the members. It's the, it's the kid who's made it for the first time. It's the five-year vet. It's, it's all of the things, you know, it's, and you've been, and then also like, you know, a broken city place like pulse. It's like, this is my, 10th year or something, 10 or 11 years. Like this is like, and I don't, I don't have kids too. So it's like, these programs are like my children, not the members, like the, the programs, mm-hmm. you know, it's like this thing we've put together. Me and Ian have been doing it forever. My wife's involved. Wow. So it's like very, this is like our family. This is what we do. And there's a lot of fulfillment in all of it. That's really cool. So it's like, it, it checks a lot of boxes, right? It's like right. highly relational, Highly like you're a mentor, but then you're also friends in various ways, right? And then you're creating music. And I don't know if there's any other paradigm that quite has all those same little boxes ticked, right? It's almost right. like a little bit of what maybe makes the military so appealing to people. Like you got your troop and these are your dudes and like, ah, there's that. And hmm. then you're making an art. I mean, a band is kind of close. There's the camaraderie of a band and a shared goal. and you're, But this is even bigger than that. And you have a different position than maybe anybody would ever have in a rock band or something. Right. And there's, but then it's different than classical because it's not as... Right. I don't know. And on top of all the things, there's like a community. Yeah, that aspect. You know? Because then it's like, I feel like, I feel like most of us could just do this on our own little bubble and still be pretty happy. Like I could just live in this weird Pulse universe, make our shows, competition or not, you know, it'd be awesome. But then you, you burst out of your bubble and you're like, oh yeah. Mike's living in his bubble and then we get to like check it all out. And then Bubbles there's just bouncing res- against each other. You know what I mean? You're like, Oh, yeah. I, that's crazy. Like even as different as things might be, there's still like the respect of we're all doing the same weird thing. We've somehow figured out a way to make a living at it, which is bizarre. We don't have to wear a suit ever. <laughs> well, sh- once a year, once a year, you're your own boss. What's your once a year? Is it finals? Uh, that's right. You three, always three times it. a year. Three times. <laughs> I think you you like wearing a tie though, three times a year. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's cool. There's a lot of there's a lot of heart in that. Yeah, you, you know, I've noticed how much you care about the kids too and their experience in it. And it, it's it's funny that just the way you delivered your answer. Obviously, a lot of like different like tributaries of 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 fulfillment. And the this is why I. I I've been such an advocate for like the creative aspect of this activity where, cause there are people out there that are like, it's a hundred percent about the kids. It's about the kids and it's really unpopular. And, and, and (laughs) to say, well, you got to word it right. You can't, it's, there has to be an eloquent delivery and which I'm not always capable of, but it's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's, it's about that because like there's there's human beings that are that are doing this and they're they're giving them themselves and they're not profiting in the way that we would normally call profit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not um, hedge funds. You know, it's it's uh, paying percussion programs. You know, yeah. and and it's uh, the value of someone like like John doing what he does is like how many lives have you affected? 
you know, there's that aspect of it. And it's hard to say that, like, when you're talking about yourself. For like, better or worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you don't want to say that because it's just weird to say that about yourself. And, you know, well, you want to be humble it about it. But, it matters but what I can you say do. it. I can say it about you, and I can say there's massive value in that, and we can't just dismiss it and say it's 100% about the kids. And it, it is, but at the same time, it's, it's like the, the airline analogy. Like, you got to put your mask on first. You know, like John has to put his mask on first. John has to be healthy. John's situation cannot be toxic or that's going to ruin a whole bunch of kids. Mm-hmm. Like it's, uh, it's important, you know? No. Yeah, you have it like an opportunity to, to affect them in so many different ways for better or for worse. And that has an exponential effect throughout. I mean, all the people that you affect are affecting other people. And I know that my experience, now Mike and I are like pals but early on, he was like my mini boss. Oh, and, yeah. then, and then a mentor and then a semi friend and then a friend. And then, and that experience back when Mike was somebody like, oh my gosh, wish we could be friends, but he's just somebody I look up to. <laughs> and, and I had to live up to the expectations that he set, which were healthy, you know, it was like a good challenge. And that it really affected the way I, I um, approached my life and work and business and art, it was like probably one of the most, most fundamental experience experiences, you know, um, or, uh, shaping, I guess. Thanks buddy. (laughs) (laughs) But I know that's what you guys are doing and that's kind of why you do it. I guess it sounds like both of you do it for that partially for that reason. It's like an avenue, it's expression, but it's also relationships. Right. Because I, I feel like myself and Ian, we can really kind of put our money like on the table on this one because we have a website that's all of our income. Like that's how we make a living. That's how I pay my mortgage. Mm-hmm. Sell shows, you know, awesome. and that's great. So, so we could literally just stop teaching, and it might even make more money. Do you know what I mean? Wow. In a weird way. So, yeah. But we talk about all the time. We're like, the moment we stop, then we're like, it's almost like it's now we're just doing like the day job. Just capitalists, like <laughs> yeah. What? And then we're disconnected. And we'll, well, you're not you're not challenging yourself either because you right. never know what's coming around that corner, you know. Right. Then, you know, the next, uh, the, the most recent example I can remember that is the Arcadia show. Um, what was it called? The Rise. Only, yep. Yeah. I mean, they came out with Rise and it was just like, oh man. Yep. <laughs> I thought I had this thing down. <laughs> what, was it a game changer? It was a game changer. Oh, okay. I think. I don't oh, know yeah, how you felt about it. Absolutely. What year? 11. 11? Yeah. You were just talking about that year today. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was asking about a song. <laughs> he asked if anybody. He asked if people were playing. Uh, um, had you used Fly Fall Fly? Yeah, have you used Fly Fall Fly? And I'm like Adam, <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> that would be eleven. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's like I think this one could work for a show. Yeah, it did <laughs> for the most part. Um, That's funny. Yeah, but I think if you were to stop. And just focus on the website, you would lose right. the connection that, like shows like Rise, that they, the way they affect you, and that you're you're in it. Like we were all there when that happened. Um, I'm gonna throw the question at him that I threw at you when we first started really talking, and <laughs> it's always a challenging question unless you've been asked it before. But do you consider yourself an artist? Um, yes, because. It's what we're doing is so much more than just writing 
parts. You know, yeah. we, we talked about this at one point. Maybe it was like one of those Arcadia things, but we joked around about like when, when so if you're a kid and you're like learning to play snare drum and you think like, I want to do this like for a living, you have no idea what's coming up. Mm-hmm. Like all these things and skills you should probably have and just the idea of picking, picking a concept and developing it and like, yeah, you know, it, it's so much more than I'm making parts. Yeah. So it, it has to be. Right, I mean, mm-hmm. do you bring a, do you bring a lot? Do you feel like you're bringing a lot of yourself to what you're doing? For sure, naturally, yeah, for sure. How's that process? Is it what's going on in your life, or is it your the, just the things you love aesthetically and musically? And right, well, I'm at the um, <laughs> the Chino Hills, like we have a percussion banquet every year, and I, I kind of like spilled the beans a little bit this year, and I was like, I don't know if anyone has put this together, but pretty much every show we've done is directly about my life. And they're just like looking at me, you know, and I just like backed up and I was like, wait a minute. I have questions. <laughs> once what the hell life are you living? Right, right, right. Uh, well, it was like, once we got past the Rick roll and once we like had won the thing a few times, once right. we got to 14, it was like, I was here. When did like, you get back to the chopper? That's what I want to know. Right. That was 12. So that, okay. that was a little different, okay. but, but even that, it was still a personality thing of like, man, what if we just did something crazy? Like, why do we have to stick to all these rules that we think a drumline show has to be, you know? Right. It's like, that's not really who we are, me and Ian. Like, you're like, oh, I guess we probably should do these things. And then that year with 12, it's like, I mean, what if we just do whatever we want? Like, what would happen? You that's know? a part of your personality to just kind of like... Right, like not just play, play by the rules, you know, and just... Yeah. And then we rickrolled the audience and we did Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, it was absurd. <laughs> It's absolutely <laughs> absurd. But that was cool. That year was like, I don't think we can do this. Like, this is not going to go well. <laughs> Did you get scared in the middle? Super scared. Because then there's a point where you're like, man, all these kids are relying on us like to give them something. It's yeah, not you, just you like. You got, you got Ian, so. Right. Secret weapon of comedy. <laughs> so, you That's know, a lot, awesome. of, a lot of the shows, I mean, a lot of the shows come out of something. They're not usually out of thin air, mm, you know. Right. It's usually a connection somehow between That's all cool. of us. Yeah, I always wonder about because you have there's the imagination, so it's just like stuff that's just coming purely from like a creative space, and maybe there's a subconscious reason why you're doing it, or there's a conscious, um, deliberate effort to kind of express yourself or bring your life into it and on purpose. Right. So it's cool. I'm, I'm when I asked Mike that same question, <laughs> I just want to compare and contrast because it's so interesting. Um, but I just remember the pretentious uh, potential for the word artist. Like, it's, it was as if I asked you, are you an artiste? And you're like, no, <laughs> right. I'm not that. <laughs> and I had to sort right. of define it first, but I, I think guess, you were like, I guess I'm I, fine with it. I like hesitate a little bit. It's like, it feels weird, but I, I know what you mean. Yeah. It would be weird to say no, right? Yeah, like, exactly. I guess if it's one no, or the other. No. But it, it's almost like pausing before you say yes. Right. Makes it okay. For sure. Yeah. On the as replay. Long as you paused. You can see I paused on the replay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll count it by samples. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that, that, it just shows. I mean, that's, that's really what it is, is doing something creative that, and you're bringing yourself to it. To me, it's just, that's art. That's an artist. It's cool to hear. Right. All right, you want to hear the craziest of all the questions? <laughs> this was a fun one. <laughs> Because I read it and I'm like, this is kind of a trolling, ridiculous question. And I, I gave my answer just on the Instagram. But I, just, I would love to hear your answers. 
If you were to eat yourself, would you become twice as big or disappear completely? It's a good one. John goes first. Oh, yeah, <laughs> on the spot. Sure. If you were to eat I yourself. would I heard the question. I would I would disappear completely for sure. <laughs> I agree. I agree. John would disappear. No, I would disappear. <laughs> I would disappear. In the process of eating yourself, yeah. he would disappear. Be like back to the yeah. future. That I was actually waiting for the options as you were reading the question. And it's like, oh, what are the options going to be? Oh, I would disappear. Um, okay. Um, well, here's a, like, kind of a technical question. Um, this question is a composition one. How, would it, how do I input effects into Sibelius? What kind of effects? Visual effects? Right. Yeah, they're, exactly. They're, they're probably asking, you know, like samples or just sound effects in general. So a lot of that, you can do it directly through Sibelius. It's mm-hmm. just a lot of work. You can input, Ian would be the guy for this, but you can do this thing where you load up the sound and you connect it and then you give it the code and it'll play. But most of the time what people do, like Ian most of the time will write like front ensemble and battery parts in Sibelius, but a lot of the sound effects come um, separately so he'll mm. he'll layer those in he'll have to basically record an mp3 of the music yeah the, the drum line parts you know and put them in to pro tools and then he's got his whole file there with like the narration or basically anything that's not um tempo related if it's tempo related he'll usually go through the hassle of loading it into sibelius so it's all playing in time oh, okay but everything that's like ethereal or narration it's just you can kind of just play right we should have the um, Ian Keisha podcast, and it's just all technical questions. Mm, right? Yeah, that'd be cool. It won't be nearly as cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Carry the one. <laughs> Hashtag nerd alert. What is the process you take to portray the show concept visually, both with drill and with choreo? Do you have a specific image in your head, or do you adjust as you go? That's from at mispronounced underscore. I answered the last one. Oh, okay. Well, you, you, you I'm here more. Um, <laughs> people are sick of hearing me. Um, I, you know what? It's I've never been about answer. forms or the the picture of what's happening. It's the movement. Um, yeah, you improvise it on the fly at rehearsal, right? It's about what it looks like when it's on the move. It's not about the form that they're in. Hmm. So, um, a lot of times, like when we're or experimenting, we're moving people around. Um, I'd be like, I, I won't give them dots. I'll just say, go that way, and you go that way, and you go that way. And tenors, you guys kind of just go somewhere over there. And you got eight counts, ready to go. And then you just see what it looks like. Once it looks the way you want it to look, then I figure out where do they sort of end up, and then I give them a dot, and then we try it. And then we ink it, and we move on to the next thing. Um, that doesn't mean that's how we always do it, but that's how I'd say that's the default. And so since your wife is doing it, what's that process like between well, you, she, your wife, and you? My wife does like the choreography. Oh, choreography. So like okay. specifically her favorite thing is when the drums mm-hmm. are off. She's all in on that. When the drums are on, there's so many limitations, she just gets a little frustrated. But and she's, get, she's getting better at it. It's a team thing. Okay. It's like whoever's involved. But – as far as the front or the drill design, which is like basically what they're asking, yeah, I used to chart 
chart it out like quite a bit by hand mm. and really plan it out. And I would at first show up and I would teach what's on my page. And oh, even if cool. it was like not quite right, I'd be like, well, that's what I wrote, you know, and, and you watch the final product and it looks like I planned out everything at home and we, we learned it oh, okay. with so a few tweaks. Humanize it right. Something? Well then over the years you're like, okay, there's gotta be another little step here. You gotcha. Know? So you started that so, way, but moved to a right, different process. Right. And it's funny that, like the idea of drill, it's like I'm trying to find more opportunities where there's not drill. You know? Right. Like you're, I think, I'd mentioned something on my Instagram recently, but it was like, I don't think you can do a good, and this might upset people, but a good indoor drumline show on a computer, like on Pyware. Mm. I just don't think you can. I think every single show that's written that way looks like it was written that way when you're watching it live. And yeah, it's you, so, can, you can call it out, absolutely. You can see the Pyware shows. Like right away. You're like, oh, Pyware, and then that's it. For, Why? Because that's just, is it dot to dot sort of like... It's because there's there's tools. Well, okay, it, it's more reasons than just Pyware, I, I think. It's my take on it. Chances are, if you're Pyware in your show, you've hired someone else to do it. Oh, interesting. So right. it's a third party, like uninvested. Disconnected. Yeah, so it's, and that's not necessarily, this, these aren't bad things. I'm just saying, this is sometimes, this is what a group has to do, depending on their financial situation or the resources they have in their region. Mm-hmm. So you've farmed it out to a third party. Um, and the only way for them to get that to you is through Pyware or some other similar yep. medium. Um, so it's a, it's a double whammy effect. One, you have no connection to the actual kids and what they're capable of and who can go that far and look good and who can't and who mm. should be, you know, stand still the whole show. Like you, you have all these different situations <laughs> that you can, you, can, uh, you can accommodate for when you're standing in front of them and you're doing it live right. on the fly. And um, so the third party connection plus the Pyware has tools mm. that you select and if you know Pyware, you know what those tools are. So you see them right away. It's like, oh, that's that tool. Oh, that's that tool inverted. Okay, yeah, oh, that's the, that tool. Like you can just watch it happening in front of you. And now it you tends guys are insiders, be, so you see it. But do you think it's even evident to the crowd that there's something kind of disconnected going on? Well, I think there's a third layer here. Okay. Not always, not always to the crowd. I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think it's more of... It just, it depends. It's all it's on a scale. But yeah. the third layer, I think, which is the problem, is that chances are, if it's a third party Pyware user, is not a drummer. So it's like right. you just get triple whammied with all of those, <laughs> all of those variables. Right. And nonsensical I can, movement. Yeah. And then people who are in the know can can sit up at the stands, and we can see it. We can see clearly not a drummer. Clearly using Pyware. Clearly third party. Right. I mean, individual. I, I'm going to sound like you right now, right. but I, I do, this could be an entire podcast because there's yeah. so many reasons yeah. why. Right. And it's like not just visual design. Like there's right. not that much information out there right. on that. And I, I want to definitely say that it's not a negative. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. It's just, I'm saying you can see it mm. and you can tell what it is. So if I, I saw this somewhere. I can't remember. I was watching a documentary and they said, if you can, if you can tell the tools that were used to create the art, it, it lessens the art. So when you look at art, you shouldn't be able to tell how they did it. Hmm. Like if it's a painting, if it's anything like that, it's like, oh yeah, that's a three quarter inch brush. Da, 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 da. I see exactly how they did that. That's a little, da, da, da. and you know, maybe you could, you could poke holes in that. But generally speaking, 
I liked the idea of that when I heard it. I said, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So when I, when I hear something, like if I hear a battery do something and I can't transcribe it, I love that. I don't know what the hell they just played. That was really cool. Yeah, like that's it's cool. so right. textured right. and just, you know what I mean? It's fun to find, or really useful, I think, to find processes that, you know, the final result is kind of one visual and aural experience, right? So you, I think if you can find a process that gets you there in a, in a really integrated way, the final result's going to be more of an integrative um, experience. Um, like when I'm teaching songwriting and stuff, I try to teach that these days, basically 20th century to now, a song really isn't just the, the lyrics and the chords and the melody. It's like, it's completely integrated into the recording and there's a sonic identity and there's what you would call the production and there's the captured performances in the recording and there's the song lyrics. There's all these aspects and the more you can, I find that the more I integrate the songwriting process with the recording process, the more blurred all those lines are and it becomes one thing. And it sounds like the more disintegrated the movement is from the people who wrote the music and the people who are playing the music, the more, the less integrated of an experience it is, but the more you kind of like are taking into account, oh, those specific bodies playing this specific music should move like this. But if it's some random person out of doing state. the movement, out of state, yeah, and starting on a computer, right? that's got to be tough. It, yeah, it's simple things. It can be just simple mechanical things like intervals, like knowing what works for certain instruments, that the answer isn't always to homogenize in intervals. Sometimes it's this for those guys and this for those guys. And you're using it's, space. It's, all this, it's all those little details. And um, there's, there's just something about a marching band approach to staging an indoor percussion show that is immediately noticeable. And it's, this is, me speaking, not attractive. Mm. I don't, I find it pulls me out of the, of what they're trying to say. It, to me, it just looks like they're moving around. It's almost like the difference between like a model home when you walk in and it looks like it was designed in a computer to look like somebody's home that you live there versus a home that's been designed by somebody and it feels good being in the space because there's something, there's that extra aspect of it. It's not just that's there and that's there and the pictures are here and the couch is there. Things are placed in an intuitive way. I have a question, maybe something to close this thing out. I'd love to hear of the past, I don't know, four or five years, your favorite Pulse show and <laughs> your favorite Broken City show. Of He's got a lot more to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, and, and why? <laughs> I, I feel bad because I can't remember the name of it. But you can just reference the year. 2010, I think. What was your right. first gold medal? Worth the wait. Worth the wait. Something about that show. I don't know if you remember this. I, you probably do remember this because it was your group, but your MP3 leaked like four months before. It was like, like a before, Britney Spears track. It was before Halloween. Yeah. It was that early. And I remember hearing the MP3 going, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then when I saw all the shit, when I, when I yeah. saw the show, um, <laughs> And then the snares do this thing where they like the, 
Right. I, I can't I don't even know what it's called, but they were backing up and they were right doing, in the beginning. Oh yeah, yeah. man. And that just, that showed like sucked <laughs> me in. I, I, I mean, I definitely have like some favorite pulse moments, but, uh, that one just doesn't go away. And what was the concept behind that? Worth the wait. Uh, Do you remember what it's, that's a while ago now going on a decade. I mean, it was pretty straight ahead. It was like making a journey worth it. Like a lo- so there was, it was all long phrases, long ideas. We had people that were like... Delayed gratification. Right. But then making sure that the moments paid off, which was really, really challenging. Like if you're going to wait for this moment, it better be sweet. Yeah. You know? So it was pretty awesome. We, me and Ian just talked about that recently. We didn't realize at the time... Like we were just writing these long phrases because of the concept. Mm-hmm. It turns out we should have kept doing that <laughs> <laughs> instead of like, cool. Now we're just gonna write all the a million phrases back to back. It's like, hmm. We didn't, sometimes you don't realize why something is good until later. Mm, yeah, like way later. <laughs> you know, that's cool. How it's literal but super rich idea. I would think you could almost do that idea every year or something and do it a right. different way, right? Without even, yeah. <laughs> Cool. We we still quote that show behind closed doors. Really? Yeah, Ian. Ian, right? It was Ian. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. What about oh, yeah. you? Um, I only have like three cho- shows to choose from. <laughs> I know. It's kind but, of an unfair. So I know any Mike show. I guess you could say whatever right. pops out on your right. Head. Well, that's right. that's now now you have more to choose. I have from. way more to choose from. <laughs> oh, that's tough. If I have to start going to Mission Veo, that's pretty tough. That's true. I think my favorite Broken City show was 17 with the microphones. What was that? Spine. Spine, yeah. Just a cool idea. I mean, just, you know, of course, the left show. You know, all the things. You know, all the things from that show. But it just felt fresh and cool. The Clippers. The the Clippers and all the, it was just lots of little ideas. The the vocals were okay. (laughs) (laughs) But at least you knew they were live, right? right? The Mission Video shows they could, that could be in, that's a whole other podcast, but right, you know, ninety nine. I, I think I've told you this, but that was the first indoor show I'd ever seen in my life live. Oh. It was like one of those things where we didn't know what time the show was because I think it was a regional or something. So we went to Fountain Valley High School in ninety nine with a couple friends. Like, oh, let's go check this out, and we walked in. I was walking to the gym and I saw Mission Video standing there with like the the welder mask, <laughs> you know, in the all white, and we're like. <laughs> what is about to happen? <laughs> People right? are going to die? Like, what's about to happen? Because, you know, there's really nothing like that at the time. And I don't think I've ever the- seen that show. Is it online? Oh, man. Oh, God. Don't watch it. I'm gonna no, it. no, no, no. That's great. I mean, there, I mean, there was like seven snares, four times. It was like this huge drum line. And I remember seeing that in the fall. And we're like, what are they going to do with all this? How are they even going to fit? You can't fit that many. You know, it's one of those we didn't even know. That was the, that was the first show that I staged 100% of it. Huh. 98, I staged half. 99 was like, all right, I just got to do this myself. Just all in, yeah. It was cool. A friend yeah. of ours, like, not on a camera, like, took a video of the performance. Like, somehow got a camcorder into the gym. Whoa. And, like, we, we walked in. We didn't know anything. We just saw the show. It was extremely overwhelming, especially in, like, a small gym. You know, so many bodies. Mm. And we, like, went home. And that was it. The show was over. We walked in. I think we got in for free because it was, like, the show was over. There was one group left. <laughs> But we, so we drove all the way there. We saw one group and then we went home and started watching the video. Just like, what was that? And then we <laughs> went to a rehearsal. We snuck into a, well, we didn't sneak. We, we just showed up. 
think, do I remember that? Yes. Remember. And like Jim Wonderlick was out, we were just like standing outside the gym, like, what's, what's it like <laughs> in there? You know, and Jim's like, you guys want to come in? <laughs> were you already teaching Edison at that point? Um, I was, no. So th then I didn't, I didn't remember you coming. Cause I think you Maybe came in Jim, 05. I think you came in right, 05. Right, right, right. But Jim remembers it. Cause he was just like, you guys can come in if you want. We're oh, like, okay. really? <laughs> no, I remember you coming in 05. Cause I think I'd met you guys by then. And right, is, for sure. is 99 post-college for you? Or is it around college years? During college, right. During, I graduated okay. 2000. Okay. Right. So that was before, were you doing, you were teaching drum lines though? Kind of. Kind of. It wasn't like your thing thing. Yeah. What was the Edison year where we met? What was that? What year? I don't know. Oh, four? Really? I thought it was before that. I definitely met you before oh four, but... I didn't know who you were or Ian was until that Edison group. Right. Because they were warming up right next to us. I'm like, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was extremely good. And That's awesome. You just... Oh, the, I think it was Cerritos. And I think I, I know what you're talking about. No, you, it was definitely Edison. Hmm. What year-ish? Was it was Ian doing Edison by himself? Yes. Okay, that's what it was. That's when I met Ian then. Right. Okay, I must have met you with Cerritos. Yeah. Yeah, at Rancho Cucamonga High School. I think. Early 2000s? So I, or, yep. Okay. Yeah, early 2000s. Um, but yeah, it's there's there's no secret society of great drum lines. Like, you just you know who's good. So when you, when you hear something and it's attached to a name that you know shouldn't be good, it's like, it's like really a cool surprise. It's like, who is that? Who's teaching over there? <laughs> so I just immediately ran over there. I'm like, dude, so is cool. it, who, who, who does this group? You know, and that's where I met Ian. I'm like, man, great job. It's awesome. I just remember that being awesome. Feeling the love, guys. I think we should wrap it up. Wrap it up. Thanks for coming, John. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks for having cool me. Cool to spend time with you. And a uh, pleasure to meet you, Mike. It's been really... <laughs> <laughs> good night and good morning. <laughs>